Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. A recent decision in the Administrative Division of the High Court has clarified the requirement for police forces to refer complaints to the Independent Office for Police Conduct, the IOPC, when the complaints engage certain mandatory criteria. So here to discuss the 2021 case of R. Rose and Chief Constable of Great Manchester Police is Barrister and Police Law Specialist Cecily White of Sergeant's Inn. Cecily, it's lovely to have you back again. Thank you. Let's start with this. What are the mandatory criteria which engage a requirement to refer a complaint to the IOPC? Thanks, Dan. So the mandatory criteria relate to um, referrals to the IOPC, the Independent Office of Police Conduct. And Rose, the case we're going to talk about, um, although it was decided relatively recently, it was decided under the 2012 regime. However, the mandatory criteria are still the same under the 2020 regime, um, and they are as follows. Does the complaint engage or allege uh, a serious assault, a serious sexual offence, Serious corruption, including abuse of position for a sexual purpose or for the purpose of pursuing an improper emotional relationship. A criminal offence or behaviour which is liable to lead to uh, misconduct proceedings and which is aggravated by some sort of discriminatory behaviour, so something on the grounds of a protected characteristic, race, sex and so on. A relevant offence which is defined elsewhere in the regime by reference to the length of the sentence Complaints or conduct matters which have arisen from the same incident, so that's a wrap-up provision incorporating things that all relate to each other. And similarly, if the complaint alleges that the conduct complained about has resulted in death or serious injury, so a so-called DSI um, case. And just as a relevant offence is defined, so too serious assault serious sexual offence, those terms are all defined in the, in the regime. So if you have a complaint falling within any of those criteria, it's mandatory to refer them to the IOPC. And the issue in Rose was whether the complaint in question engaged the criterion of serious corruption. It was a serious corruption uh, complaint, wasn't it? So what, what are the facts in this case then? So the facts in this case were, of course, particular to that case, but in a sense, common to other cases in that this was a serial complainant. So Mr. Rose was someone who complained about police officers on more than one occasion. The underlying facts were that in 2014, he'd reported to the police that his staff were stealing from his own business. That resulted in an investigation and a decision by the CPS not to prosecute Mr. Rose believed that that investigation, which hadn't gone anywhere, had been improperly influenced by the fact that some of the suspects were related to a serving police officer and the evidence had been deliberately withheld from the CPS due to police um, nepotism and corruption, which had influenced their decision not to do anything about his allegation. So the first complaint he made was in 2016, around the time of the CPS decision to NFA it, and that had 
related to the alleged withholding of evidence from the CPS. That complaint was sent to the IOPC, it was then the IPCC, which forwarded it on to the defendant chief constable. A chief inspector reviewed the investigation that had taken place and concluded that that complaint could be closed with no further action. And Mr Rose lodged an appeal, which was also dismissed because it was held that the complaint had been suitable for local resolution. So pausing there, there was a fully completed complaints process that had already taken place by the time Mr Rose came to submit a second complaint. And it was the second complaint that formed the subject of the Rose case. Now, he obviously wasn't happy and this ended up in court. What was the basis of his claim? He put in this second complaint. This was in 2018, so a couple of years later. This time he was complaining about the manner in which the previous investigation had been reviewed. And he made allegations of bias and that the chief inspector who'd reviewed the investigation had basically tried to protect the officers who'd been involved. So again, the complaint was forwarded to the defendant chief constable. It was resolved through local resolution and it was closed without further action. So it never went to the IOPC. He appealed, arguing that it should have been referred to the IOPC under the mandatory referral criteria, namely the serious corruption limb. And that appeal was rejected on the basis that local resolution had been appropriate. Whilst waiting for that outcome, he lodged a third complaint. So we had 2016, 2018, and now 2019, a third complaint, which the defendant chief constable concluded did meet the criteria for mandatory referral and which led to a local investigation. Uh, And that wasn't upheld. That third complaint wasn't upheld either, and an appeal was rejected. So pausing there... Of the three complaints he'd lodged, one of them did actually result in a referral to the IOPC, and the claim that ended up before the High Court was the second complaint, which had never been referred to the IOPC, and that's what he was complaining about. He was saying it had to be referred because it was a complaint of serious corruption. Yeah, and in in this case, on the face of it, ought to have triggered a referral by the Chief Constable. No referral was, in fact, made. What's the applicable law which decision-makers should consider when they're making a decision to refer? So the applicable law, I think it's fair to say in layman's terms, and indeed in lawyers' terms, is a nightmare. And that is because it is it is so complicated that it's almost impossible, even for lawyers who operate in this area all the time, to follow. It is to be found in the Police Reform Act 2002, which has a schedule to it, Schedule 3. That's where most of the provisions are. And then a set of regulations called the Complaints and Misconduct Regulations, which were, in this case, in 2012 and now in in 2020. And the reason these provisions are so difficult to follow is that there are so many different paragraphs and regulations which refer to different other paragraphs and regulations that it it becomes a bit of a a scramble. We (laughs) we need a flowchart. We do, we do. If you put one on the UK Police Law (laughs) blog. (laughs) I think that would be an excellent idea. That's what we need. We need a flowchart. So... But basically, which were the provisions that applied? Well, to cut to the chase in this case, it was it was whether this complaint, the 2018 complaint, met the definition of an allegation of serious corruption, which is defined under the 
IPCC statutory guidance as conduct which includes any attempt to pervert the course of justice or any other conduct likely seriously to harm the administration of justice, in particular the criminal justice system. And what the judge in Rose concluded was that all that had to be done was to consider whether the complaint on its face made an allegation of that nature. It didn't matter what the merits of that underlying allegation were. The question was whether on its face the complaint met that definition. And the judge in Rose, his honour judge Air QC, concluded that it did. So the Chief Constable, um, it's fair to say, went down fighting on this one. What argument did the Chief put forward to justify the failure to make a referral to the IOPC? So the, the Chief Constable had argued, probably having regard to the, the, the multiple complaints that had been lodged in this case, and the fact that two of them had not gone anywhere, all three of them had not gone anywhere, but the two about which no complaint was made had also not gone anywhere. And he basically sought to argue that there has to be some merits-based assessment at the referral stage. Otherwise, virtually everything is going to go through. There's not going to be any filter whatsoever. Um, and so he he argued that there has to be some assessment of whether the complaint had substance to quote from those submissions, and that that involved an assessment of the, of the gravity, the seriousness of what was being alleged. And that meant, logically, that only the most serious complaints would end up with the IOPC at the referral stage, and, and that required an element of judgment. It wasn't just a, a completely open door. He basically argued that this was an exceptional case where, although it may well be that the vast majority of complaints making allegations of serious corruption do meet the mandatory referral criteria, there will be some which don't, as as this one was. And the laws changed a little since then. In 2012, there was reference to vexatious, repetitious, fanciful complaints. How's that moved in eight years? It has. And, and that's an interesting part of the judgment because in reaching his conclusion, the judge in Rose firstly said he wasn't able to detect anywhere in the legislation or the guidance any sort of exceptional category, as had been argued by the chief constable, permitting this sort of departure from just looking at the, claim, at the complaint at face value. He also noted that at that time, there was a filter for complaints, namely that complaints which were vexatious, repetitious or fanciful did not have to be recorded under the 2012 regulations. And the judge said that provision is the safeguard which the regulations provide by way of filter against patently unmeritorious complaints. And so it was on that basis that he rejected the Chief Constable's submission that there should be some such filter at the referral stage, because he was basically saying there already is a filter um, at the stage of recording. Significantly, under the 2020 regulations, those filtering provisions have been removed, they've been repealed. And so there is no basis at the recording stage for, for, for dropping vexatious claims. 
That means, potentially, that it's open for forces to argue that there should still be some filtering mechanism at some stage because it's no longer at the stage that was there when Rose was decided. So that is a potential argument that could be made in cases that are brought under the 2020 regime. Now, what did the the court ultimately conclude? The court ultimately concluded that the decision not to refer the 2018 complaint had been wrong in law. That was because that complaint did make an allegation of serious corruption, and regardless of its merits, it fell to be referred to the IOPC, treated as a complaint meeting the mandatory referral criteria, which it did. How did the court reach that conclusion? Well, it it just looked at the complaint. It looked at the letter of the complaint and reflected that it needed to be read as a whole. It had been drafted by a layperson, not by a lawyer. It wasn't making allegations of incompetence or error. It was making allegations of a a deliberate cover-up and conspiracy by named police officers to protect potentially the culprits of crime, i.e. the people who'd been stealing from the business. And that that was an allegation that, that met the definition of serious corruption. So accordingly, the decision not to refer it had been wrong and was quashed. The the outcome, interestingly, would that have been different for Mr Rose if the complaint would have been referred? So that's an interesting question too, because for the purposes of the public law claim, there's a provision under the Senior Courts Act, which is that effectively, if it's, if it's highly likely that the outcome wouldn't have been any different, then that's relevant to whether the claim ultimately succeeds. And the judge couldn't be satisfied of that in this case. And, and that was because there were rights consequent on the designation of it as a mandatory referral complaint, which Mr Rose had been deprived of. And those were, firstly, obviously, the IOPC's consideration of the complaint, so the referral of the complaint to the IOPC and, and their getting to review it, that would then have preceded a decision by the IOPC as to how that complaint should be investigated, whether by the IOPC, whether by the force, and if so, what type of investigation. And thirdly, a right of appeal in the event that Mr Rose disagreed with the outcome of the investigation. So those were three concrete things that he had been deprived of by virtue of the complaint not having been properly dealt with by the force. Now, what would your advice be to decision makers when considering if a complaint should be referred to the IOPC? So this was a case which threw up a problem that forces regularly encounter, which is how to deal with very large uh, numbers of complaints or complaints that are similar in nature or complaints made by one person on multiple occasions. And... This case makes things simple in the sense that it directs forces simply to consider whether, on their face, a a complaint meets the criteria within the scheme, the mandatory referral criteria. It's not for forces to make an assessment of the merits of the complaint themselves. And pausing there, one can see why the court was at pains to stress that because what they want to avoid, what the court wants to avoid, is forces saying, this is obviously a a rubbish complaint. It's obviously got no legs. Let's just bin it at an early stage and not do anything with it because 
we can tell it's what it's worthless that obviously preempts the outcome of a process which is designed to ensure that in the public interest that complaints about police officers are properly investigated and if there is some substance to it properly properly dealt with yeah and someone's watching the watchman exactly yeah exactly and that's of course what the IPC is there to do so that's the mischief that this decision is is addressing but one still has the problem well there must be some sort of filter otherwise there are potentially a very large number of complaints that could potentially meet these mandatory criteria, especially the one about serious corruption, because a lot of allegations against police officers involve some sort of impropriety on their part. And I think there is a kernel of guidance to emerge from Rose, which is that the judge in that case said, it's not enough for the complaint simply to assert serious corruption. It's not enough just to, just to put that out there to engage the mandatory referral criteria. There has to be something else in the quality of the complaint which which satisfies the criteria. And, and by that, the judge was talking about particular allegations, so particular facts, particular allegations of wrongdoing. In this case, there were named officers with specific allegations as to what they might have done. Now, of course, those allegations may or may not ultimately be found proven, but they're still not just a bare assertion of corruption, but something more developed, something more, something that an investigation could potentially latch onto and actually investigate. And that is one filter for distinguishing between cases that on their face meet the mandatory referral criteria and those that don't. Of course, in addition to that, it has to meet the definition of a complaint it has to, of course, fall within one of the mandatory referral criteria, which it may or may not. So the main lesson to come out of this case is that officers who deal with complaints, officers in PSD generally, who deal with complaints uh, and this torturous regime, should take care not to perform a summary assessment of their own as to whether or not a complaint is meritorious or isn't. That's not what their role is. Their role is just to decide whether the complaint falls within the statutory scheme or not. And, and then it's for the statutory regime to, to take its proper course. Absolutely. Well, Cecily, that was very clear as always. Uh, great to see you again in person after lockdown. And thank you very much again. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.